Hey guys, it's September 21st, 2017, and you're listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleich, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, car, whatever's going on. And uh, today we've got three different things to kind of get into. Uh, first story is going to be about uh, the new Mitsubishi Evolution that got announced. It's kind of strange what they're doing with this. Uh, secondly, we'll talk about uh, the Genesis CEO throwing some shade at the German luxury car manufacturers and what his point means about luxury car making in general. And then lastly, a car that's been on my mind, one of my favorite cars of all time. It's the fourth generation Chevrolet Camaro. Uh, all that and maybe a little bit more. We might have a new segment coming up sooner than later. Uh, so follow up after the bump. All right, first up on the story list is the Mitsubishi E Evolution crossover, question mark, uh, reveal. Um, it looks like Mitsubishi is going to be doing what people have feared for quite a long time, and that's strapping the Evolution name to some kind of crossover in their lineup. Now, you know, of course, the Evolution, the long-storied performance car in their lineup, uh, mostly strapped to the Lancer name over the past two decades, basically. Um, this one, you know, here in the U.S., we got... Version 7 through 10, 9 was largely considered to be the best, 10 was a little too heavy. Um, yeah, I mean, and it, you know, this car basically suffered, was, didn't do well because Mitsubishi didn't have the money to keep it going. And so they, the car didn't do it, and Subaru was killing it. It made sense why they got rid of it. So now they want to do this, the market seems to be moving to SUVs, we're already seeing them attach the Eclipse name to a crossover SUV. You know, it's the way things are going. So with this thing, I think it's largely a question of how much money Mitsubishi is going to spend on the development of this vehicle, both in terms of the physical form, like what you see on the inside, what it looks like on the outside, as well as the powertrain. Uh, just about the inside and the outside first, I think we're going to see something that's probably based largely on the Eclipse Cross SUV, which... By all accounts, I think is a pretty good-looking SUV. It's a little boring. The Evolution version will probably add some splitters, some wings, some aero tricks to it. Um, it might be lowered a little bit more to make it a little bit more car-like. I think we're going to see something that's honestly not that much bigger than, you know, a Volkswagen uh, Alltrack or a uh, Hyundai Elantra GT, and I don't think that's that bad of a situation. Um, I think the question largely becomes of what the powertrain ends up being. Um, this powertrain, you know, given the E prefix, it's definitely going to be either a hybrid or an all-electric vehicle. I doubt it's going to be all-electric. It's going to be a hybrid system, probably similar to what we see on cars like the Porsche 18 or Porsche 918 or the uh, Acura NSX. So you're probably going to see some kind of turbocharged inline four. I think that makes the most amount of sense. Whether it's going to be some kind of successor to the EG63. I doubt that. It's probably going to be a smaller output engine, probably putting out somewhere around 200, 250 horsepower. And then we're going to have some kind of electric powertrain on the rear wheels, probably putting out somewhere between 75 to 100 horsepower on that rear axle. Um, so combined, you're probably looking at somewhere between 300 on the low end output, maybe up to 400. It really depends on where they decide to go with this thing. Um, you know, that kind of powertrain, of course, works really well on the Porsche and the Acura. It's able to deliver power uh, front to rear, side to side, and really dig itself out of corners. Um, the Acura, from what I understand, is 
somewhat more of a better system. It seems like they've got a little bit more balance than Porsche does. Not that Porsche doesn't. Obviously, they can achieve some crazy performance numbers with it, but there's a lot of mode switching that it requires to get the most out of that powertrain. So if Mitsubishi can do this in a cheaper, more family-friendly package, what's wrong with it? I mean, you're going to get purists who are going to scream that it's not, an evol it's not a proper evolution, it's not what the people wanted, it's not a performance car, and then you're going to get people like me who might have the money to buy something like this, but maybe wouldn't want to because, or maybe would want to buy it because it's an SUV and not a little sport compact car. I don't know. Uh, if, if they can sell these things for under $40,000 or right at $40,000, with performance that can match, you know, something like the Porsche Macan Turbo or something like that. Hey, all the power to Mitsubishi. Um, you know, my ongoing thing with Mitsubishi is that their interiors generally aren't quite up to snuff. The design on the outside is kind of boring. Um, they can do a good work with powertrains, but they haven't in a long time because they just don't have the money to invest in the manufacturing. And so a lot of their powertrains have been legacy things that they've developed with Hyundai over the years, and it's just been... It's been a bunch of garbage, and it's it's time to see them do something new and exciting on their own, and I think this is definitely going to be the platform for them to do it. But I'm curious to hear what you guys think. Uh, drop me a line here on Anchor FM, or hit me up on Twitter, at YSSMAN. Talk about the uh, Mitsubishi Evolution, and where you think it should go, and if this is the right step. Thank you. So next up is a little thought process on uh, what the CEO of Genesis, Hyundai's luxury arm, has said about some of the German automakers, um, specifically calling out BMW, Mercedes, and Audi about uh, the way they develop their vehicles. Um, the CEO, uh, Fitzgerald from Genesis, is saying that they spend too much time and money on unnecessary technology and other niceties and not on the practical automotive development of their vehicles. Um, specifically, he's pointing to Genesis's Ooh, that's a weird word to say. Genesis and their uh, dedication to producing reliable vehicles. Um, he's saying that they produce, or they're developing vehicles in the harshest conditions possible. They're testing them in these crazy um, development centers in South Korea. They're running them on the Nuremberg They're testing them for longer distances than what the Germans are um, by thousands and thousands of kilometers. And ultimately, he says that they're going to be producing cars that are going to last longer than what BMW, Mercedes, and Audi have been doing. And this kind of reminds me of what Lexus and Acura and Infiniti were doing back in the late 80s against the Germans as well as the American brands. And I have to kind of say I'm happy that somebody has finally said something. Um, it really kind of begs the question, you know, what is the point of a luxury automaker. Are they supposed to be on the cutting edge of development? I would generally say yes on that. But do they also have a duty to provide top-tier vehicles that last a long time to the customers? I would also say yes on that. And I would say that it's really hit and miss. You know, you're going to get brands like Volvo that are doing really cool things that probably will last a long time. You're getting brands like Porsche, which who I think are doing really cool things that will probably last a long time. But then you get to some of the more basic Mercedes and BMW and Audi brands, and you're kind of, mm, I don't know. You know, granted, you know, Volvo is going to be a Swedish brand. Porsche has always kind of done their own kind of thing. Uh, 
yeah, I you know, I don't know. It's it's going to be a weird time to see. And, you know, it's interesting, too, that Genesis didn't really call out the Japanese brands on that either. Because the Japanese brands have been kind of chasing tail with the Germans for quite a while. And I think Lexus is definitely more guilty of that than Acura and Infinity. But ultimately, you know, I don't know. It, it's a tough question to answer. I definitely commend Genesis for making a commitment to quality and dependability in their vehicles. And they're offering a lot of equipment that these luxury cars have for a much lower price. But they're also lacking a lot of the really, truly great features that are going to be in these, you know, German luxury cars, specifically the autonomous tech in the Mercedeses and Audis. Um, you know, BMW's got a lot of high performance tech in their cars that probably aren't going to be in these Genesis cars. And then the question then becomes, who needs it? And I can only reply, I don't know. Um, you know, people buy BMWs and Mercedes and Audis based on pedigree, and they certainly have a strong pedigree, and, you know, Genesis needs to make a name for itself, in the same way that Lexus did back in the late 80s. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, they can, if they're going to produce G70s, G80s, G90s, they're going to run 200, 300, 400,000 miles and not have any problems, just like the old LSs of yore, kudos to them. I think that's a good way to do it. That's a good way to get brand loyalty. That's a good way to get people to come to your house to see your car, to say, holy cow, look at this. That's great. I should buy one of these cars. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of the way to go. Um, let BMW, let Audi, let Mercedes do their own thing. Let's let Genesis kind of be that middle ground. You know, I would love to see Genesis compete more directly with Cadillac, with Lexus, uh, you know, with Acura, and kind of play the game, but don't necessarily play it directly. Volvo's kind of in that group, too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's cool. Let me hear what you guys think. Uh, hit me up here on Anchor FM or uh, hit me up on Twitter at YSSMAN. Thanks. All right, last little bit of uh, storytelling here. Car that's been on my mind. Car that's pretty much always on my mind, and that is the fourth generation Chevrolet Camaro. Now, the fourth generation Chevrolet Camaro debuted in 19, late 1992 as a 93 model, uh, ran until 2002, um, had one revision kind of in the middle of the lineup back in 2008. Um, they went from the square headlamps uh, to a more bubbly, crazy, uh, arrow kind of look. Um, Interior-wise, things didn't really change a whole lot. Uh, they still kept the T-tops from the beginning to end. They offered a convertible version. There was a hardtop version as well. Um, yeah, you know, uh, the, the fourth-generation Camaro, I think, gets a lot of, a lot of shit thrown at it for being basically an evolution of the third-generation Camaro. Um, the chassis really didn't change a whole lot, both in dimensions and design. Um, I think a lot of people even make an argument that it basically is the same chassis. It was just a body change and a mechanical change that really made the difference. Um, keep in mind, of course, that the third-generation Camaro kind of got its head kicked in. I don't know, really know what you want to call it. Uh, by the Fox Body Camaro at that point in time, the uh, 5.0 Mustang generally made more power, was definitely faster. They had the SVT version. They had the SVO version. And while the IROC-Z... Uh, was a pretty good option. The 1LE was available at the time, which was also a pretty good option. Neither really could cut the fluff with the Mustang. So go back up to two, or 1993 when the new car shows up. It's got that new aero body style. It gets the LT1 V8 out of the Corvette. It eventually gets a six-speed gearbox. It's got the stronger four-speed automatic. 
this car is a performance machine. This thing comes out of nowhere. It can handle pretty well. It's pretty quick. It looks pretty good. You know, it's got a lot of digital technology that the Mustang didn't have. And that's why you see the response of the Mustang, which I think was in 94, to the new Edge version, which of course had the 5.0 for a little while, and then eventually switched to the modular not long after that. Uh, you know, it was... It's an interesting choice that GM made going this way. And it was interesting that the car ultimately lasted as long as it did. You know, a lot of people lamented the loss of the fourth generation Camaro in 2002 as the end of the rivalry. We didn't know if GM was ever going to get back in the game. They tried to replace it, quote unquote, with the uh, Impala SS, the V8 front wheel drive uh, performance luxury coupe. I don't know what you want to necessarily title it. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, these cars, they're, they're interesting to see. Um, I generally, personally prefer the earlier 4th gen models with the square headlights to the later ones. Um, you know, they had a little bit more of an aero look, and they definitely captured the essence of that time in America. It was, you know, post-Cold War, there was some money that everybody had, people were having fun, it was cool colors, cool, like, there's the Bermuda blue color that was on the car, it was just like, oh, it was such a cool car. You know, and the LT1 V8 was a runner, and, you know, later ones with the LS1, obviously, the better performance option. But, holy smokes, like, you know, this car could run, and you're still seeing them hold up their value quite a bit. Um, you know, you see, at least here in West Michigan, you see a lot of these cars, you know, five to seven grand, you know, Z28s with a, either the four-speed or a stick, you know, in good shape, they're still taking quite a bit of money. And I figured these prices would have dropped precipitously after the launch of the fifth generation and now the sixth generation Camaro, and it really hasn't. And I don't know how much of that is caused by Berger Chevrolet here in town uh, being a purveyor of high-performance Camaros since the very beginning. Um, they still build their Copo Camaros and their specialty one-off Camaros that they do themselves. And, you know, that, that Berger SS of those later model years, the 2001 and 2002 versions, whew, those are some cool cars. But, yeah, give me an early fourth gen. Give me that teal color or white with the black top. Man, that, that was a cool car. Uh, what do you guys think about that 4th Gen Camaro? Do you prefer the Camaro? Do you guys prefer the Firebird? Feel free to let me know. You know how to do it. We'll see you after the bump. Alright guys, that just about wraps things up for this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host Brad Eseldyke, and you know where to find me online, at YSSMAN, or you can drop me a line here on Anchor FM. Uh, you know, we might have a new segment coming up. Uh, the girlfriend is looking to replace her lease on her 2015 Jeep Renegade. And, you know, what a perfect time to start shopping. Uh, we're looking at crossovers. We're looking at some uh, small cars as well. I got the approval to look at cars. Yes. As much as I do talk about crossovers on this podcast, I am a car guy at heart. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. We might have to do a whole episode about that, maybe as soon as tomorrow. We'll see how things go. Uh, we'll kind of lay out the uh, pages on where we're looking crossover-wise, where we're looking car-wise, uh, maybe anything else. Um, you know, as far as car news goes, we had a few interesting stories drop today, so maybe that merits some discussion tomorrow as well. Um, so with all that in mind, guys, uh, if I don't hear from you soon, stay safe, drive safe, have a great weekend. Be yourself, be a good person, all those other positive platitudes I can give to you before I sign off. See you guys next time. Bye-bye.